All right, with me today, he is the host of a couple great shows out there, Geopolitics and Empire, as well as the Hervoyer Maurice Show. Please welcome Hervoyer Maurice. Hervoyer, are you ready to roar? I'm ready to rock and roar. All right, fantastic. I, it doesn't. It doesn't even matter how many times we we practice your name before the you know before I brought you on. There's no doubt I was going to flub it. But anyway, yeah, no, no worries. You can just call me Croat. My name literally means Croat, Croatian. So <laughs> it's very direct. All right, I'll just call you Croat. <laughs> no. um, so why why don't you just take things uh, wherever it makes the most sense? I know you've kind of had a an interesting little uh, story as as far as uh, the the few countries that you've lived in and traveled few through. Uh, so. Start wherever it makes sense. Take us to through your journey, um, like and particularly when you started getting interested in politics, um, the global politics, and what brought you to start geopolitics and empire initially. Yeah, long story. Let's try to do it quick. I was born in Chicago, so I'm a Chicagoan, but I'm a proud uh, ethnically Croat. My my parents were immigrants, so I've got uh, I was bilingual from the outset and Croatian American, uh, and we moved back and forth between Croatia and Chicago. Um, and then basically, I studied history and politics, um, and it was in the 2000s when I fell down the rabbit hole, you know, 9-11. I, I believe it was an inside job. And then behind me, I've got the creature from Jekyll Island, Edward Griffin. Uh, and then in the 2000s, I actually volunteered for his newsletter, and he took me out to lunch back in 2011 uh, in L.A. I was passing through L.A. And so, you know, going learning about 9-11, the Fed, all of these things, and it's like, that's when I realized, whoa, you know, that, that you know, um, <clears throat> I figured out how things were working. But then I wanted to leave America. You know, I, 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 I really before then, I thought I was just an average citizen. And I didn't realize we lived in an empire, you know, like American empire and then all of the stuff that the U.S. does abroad, starting wars in Iraq, killing millions of people for no reason. Um, you know, I, I did have an Iraqi girlfriend at some point. But um, so, yeah, I decided I, I had wanted to expatriate from America forever permanently 2006 because I saw this empire was on the decline I felt uh, economically in terminal decline culturally degenerating and uh, becoming more authoritarian and I think that's what we're seeing now I mean one month ago I, I believe the DHS the Department of Homeland Security got me banned from PayPal because the DHS created the disinformation governance board and that same week uh, Mint Press News Consortium News and myself got permanently banned from paypal and so this is kind of like what i was foreseeing 15 that, that's plus your years. personal account not just like your account. not you know my personal name so, so I can't you buy. the you the person uh, cannot use paypal ever again no i'm banned i got emails like you're no longer allowed to do business with paypal and game over that's it and i was even using it to pay some of my utility bills here in mexico so it's like you can't buy or sell and it's like the book of Revelation. You can't buy or sell. Do they give you a reason? Do they say you violated some kind of terms of service? Or is it just like, boom, your account's done? No explanation. This is the interesting thing. This is how I deconstruct it. They didn't give me a reason. It actually says in the email, there's a reason uh, we've frozen your account, blah, blah, blah. For this reason, your account is limited. <laughs> they never give you a reason. They, said, they just say, for this reason. So there's a reason. And for this reason, well, what's the reason? And the reason... I deduce this is political persecution going on in the United States of America today. And that's why they can't tell you the reason, because America is a democrat, you know, democracy is free. It's, it's, it's a liberty, right? No, it's not. So they can't actually say, oh, well, we canceled your account because DHS told us to, because you committed a, a political thought crime. 
that just destroys the facade of democracy in America. So they can't tell me the real reason because it's political persecution. So, <laughs> uh, anyways, you know, I, I I left 2006. My 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 ticket out was Peace Corps Mongolia. Uh, so I went out to Mongolia. I lived in the yurts in, in freezing weather. Um, I left early. Uh, I did a little over a year in Mongolia. I came back briefly to Chicago. Studied in, the, uh, in Geneva. I did my master's in Geneva School of Diplomacy. And professors like Yasser Arafat's brother-in-law, uh, Saddam Hussein's defense lawyer. It was a Dutch-American uh, uh, lawyer, uh, professor of mine. And so I, I was around all of these fancy people. And then in, I was looking for a job when I graduated, 2009. And I got offered a job in Mexico here at the Tech de Monterrey, like the top high school university system in mexico one of the best in latin america actually very globalist totally globalist it's actually legally connected to the world economic forum it's tech is owned by femsa which is uh, working with the world economic forum and so anyways i i got the job here in mexico i didn't know how long i was going to stay uh, probably I don't, I don't know like you it's like you know you i want to learn spanish the weather's great the food's great the women are pretty why not and so i just came and you know one year turned into 10 I got married, bought a home, became Mexican, I'm nationalized Mexican, so I got three passports now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I just started, started up the podcast, Geopolitics and Empire, because I wanted to talk to smart people. And so I just started Skyping into my classroom, Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, Ray McGovern, former CIA officer who briefed seven presidents, John Perkins, the economic hitman. And then around 2015, 16, I made it a real weekly podcast, so. Now, a lot of people, you know, they asked me this too, like, how did you go about getting all these people on your show? And you rattle off all these names that are, you know, huge people out there, huge people in this space. So, uh, but I think what a lot of people don't realize is sometimes it's as simple as asking. So was it as simple as just going out and asking? Because you didn't really necessarily have connections to these people prior to that, right? No, it's as you say, it's just being consistent, persistent, and just growing a thick skin, getting used to people saying no. Uh, and Or worse, just not responding at all and leaving you wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just just keep going at it and you'll get names and you know like I said I got you know getting John Lord Christopher Monkton out in UK the 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 who debunks global warming and so yeah just just going like that and trying to use to you know trying to be as brief as possible in your communications because these people are busy but and trying to leverage anything you've got going for you. The thing I've always kind of leveraged is my multicultural perspective you know the fact that i'm an american and a croatian and a mexican so and much more interesting than me i you know i'm just some some hippie white guy i don't have well, i don't have i don't have any of that you're gonna be an american mexican so there you go uh <laughs> that's true that's, that's a little spicy so yeah trying to leverage anything you have that's a little bit out of the ordinary i find that has helped uh a lot, especially with my TNT show now. Like when I'm, I'm, I'm looking for 15 freaking guests uh, or like a dozen guests a week, which yeah, is insane. Uh, but um, yeah, I try to leverage this stuff, and I think it, it, it works. So yeah, just try it. Keep being persistent, not giving up. There's a few directions uh, to go down here. I want to kind of hone in on Mexico a little bit more um, because you know, like I have a, a decent amount of experience with Mexico. My wife's Mexican. I've, been, I've practically for all intents and purposes, perhaps not in the legal sense, lived here for the last, you know, seven or eight months and spent a decent amount of time here before that. But you, you've been here about 12 years now. So I think you have a lot more depth in your perspective of things. How would you relate Mexico on the ground uh, as opposed to, if you just look at the books and look at the laws, necessarily, Mexico doesn't necessarily probably sound like the freest country in the world, but having been, you know, spent extensive time in the United States and Mexico at this point, how do you view Mexico overall um, just when it comes 
comes to government and like the attitude of, of the people of Mexico towards the government? I think there are a lot of pluses. I mean, since you mentioned the law, if you look at like the Mexican law, I've got a constitution somewhere behind me, Mexican, but it's not, in some ways it's not so bad because they've got a, you know, after the American revolution, the, 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 was it the, the American revolution and the French revolution, a lot of Latin America copied these constitutional republics, right? And, and like the American constitution. And in some ways, the Mexican constitution has held up uh, you know, they, they tried to pass this new, these new biometric laws, Supreme Court struck it down. Uh, so in, in some ways, it still holds up um, to protect us. But then in, in many other ways, it, it fails. Um, but this is a good thing because, in, I mean, it's, you get pluses, pluses and minuses. You get more freedom because the government can't, you know, they leave you alone because they're not functioning well enough to, to bother you, you know? And so, in one sense, you get more freedom uh, because you get more freedom from the government. Um, the negative aspect of that is the insecurity situation. So the, the government's lost control of the security situation, the narcos and the cr criminal organizations. So that, that is a real problem that you have to worry about. You have to have situational awareness. You, can't, you have to be smart. You can't be stupid. And so you've got more freedom because the government is d dysfunctional. In other areas, parts of the Constitution still hold up. Like we had in Mazatlan during the fake pandemic. Oh, I just got you <laughs> trouble in YouTube. Sorry. We're used to it. And uh, actually, uh, and, and a lawyer in Mazatlan, so they made the VAX certificate obligatory. It's totally against the Constitution. It's literally like in the Constitution, it says you can't discriminate for medical reasons. It's totally, we all know it's not legal what they're doing to us globally. But one lawyer in Mazatlan, uh, he got like for 500 people injunctions, amparos, and and the law was you couldn't enter into like the supermarket bank anywhere without your VAC certificate in Mazatlan. And um, the point is that 500 people got these injunctions, so many people that the shops and businesses gave up. Like they They're individually like, oh. went to court and then each got their own injunction? Yeah, they got the injunction. With the injunction, as I understand, you could then, you could then walk into the shop that otherwise demanded your vaccine certificate. So maybe you had people going in with their VAC certificates and with the injunction, you could go in and eventually they just gave up and they, they stopped. And so that's kind of my point where the Mexican constitution still holds up well in some regards and others, it's a failed state. Um, but generally you've got a lot of freedom. I mean, you can just come here, rent, buy a property and just live, live life. And I mean, just don't be stupid, you know, don't walk in the bad part of the neighborhood, you know, one in the morning or, you know, don't be flashy, flashing, you know, whatever wealth. Uh, you, you, I had a coworker at my school. I think he was, his side job was buying and fixing up cars. And he would post pictures with him and these fancy cars on Facebook. And then you wonder why he got kidnapped. I mean, he survived. I don't know if he had paid or what, but you don't do something stupid <laughs> like that. <laughs> It, it's it's still the biggest objection I get to people even coming to visit. Uh, even in I live in a resort town, basically. Um, you know they'll they'll see that one story, that one headline about some cartel related shooting or something like that. Uh, but I mean, it, it's like you said, the reality of it. No matter where you are, is you just you got to be smart. You got to know where you're going. Don't run, wander into a neighborhood. Figure out what are the bad neighborhoods. I mean, when we were in Mexico City, my wife grew up there, so she knew. Like, you just don't go to these areas. You don't go to Doctores. You don't go here. You don't go there. 
Um, and, and like you said, you, you just gotta be smart. So you do not want to flash your wealth about, um, but at the end, the end of the day, and, and like, I mean, I mean, the example of my wife's family, pretty much everyone, in her family has been mugged at some point growing up in Mexico city. It's just kind of like a way of life. So, so something that we, we might all take for granted is like in some, you don't have the security is up to yourself. Like you said, you know, you have to be cognizant of, of where you are and, and be securing yourself by not doing anything stupid because there's not really going to be a justice system. That's going to recompensate you. Um, nobody's going to investigate any crime that might occur. Uh, you're pretty much on your own when it comes to that stuff. Let me just add on to that. The only place I was ever mugged, held up at gunpoint, stared, stared down the barrel of a gun was in my hometown, Chicago, in America, oh, yeah. all right? And I've never been, I've been, you know, the, the transit police in Mexico have tried to extort me, but oh, I've sure. never been mo- mocked That comes with the territory. Yeah, but my home, when I first came here in 2010, you know, I didn't have, like, any m- money savings, and I was renting a, a house for, you know, 250 bucks, but it was not inside a gated community. And my home over the span of two years was burglarized, broken into three times, um, again, I didn't. I'm a minimalist. I didn't have any wealth, v- valuable things. And uh, as you said, you know, it's not worth reporting. You know, the, the actually the cops passed by that third time. They had smashed in my door, and I'm just standing there, bewildered, kind of freaked out, calling my my boss at work. Like, what am I going to do? And I took all my stuff and went to stay with a friend for a week before I found a new place. But a cop passed by, and two cops, and I think they were investi- investigating a simultaneous, you know, another robbery in the neighborhood. And he just like, I'm telling him what happened. He's like laughing in my face. I'm like, they're probably in with, you know, some of, some of these cops are in with these crooks. And it's like, and, and then you have to go downtown in some office and report to the police. And like, nothing's going to happen. And they're just going to like sketch on a piece of paper and, and throw that, you know, throw that they in the waste. Get on the chin and get on with life. I mean. Yeah. All right, gang. Well, you know what can really help you get on with life? That is the fine CBD products from our good friends, Carlos and Vanessa Abelar at Paloma Verde CBD. I don't got to tell you what I've already told you, how great these products are, how they get shipped right to your house for free with every order over $75, and how you get a tremendous discount by using discount code ROAR to get 20% off that order shipped directly to your door. I am a fan personally of the gummies. I think they're the sour apple gummies. Don't quote me on that. They were something apple, and they were amazing. They were so good that I ate them way too fast, which is my only criticism of these products. They taste so darn good. Sometimes it's just it's hard not to toss them all down the gullet all at once, but that just speaks to the fine quality you get from Paloma Verde products. Again, palomaverdecbd.com. Use discount code ROAR for 20% off your order. I'm kind of curious your thoughts uh, since you've been there through all of this and all of the political changes in Mexico. I, I think one of the most fascinating figures to me, maybe in like all of global politics to me, is uh, the president of Mexico, AMLO. Uh, obviously, for people, for you and I, you know, he's a, he's clearly a socialist. Uh, we know that he's very open about that. He was elected be, uh, on that, or elected or installed, however you want to. You know, Mexican elections that we know are, are very very controlled anyway, uh, as, as are most. But you know, he, he's also been seemingly, at least on the surface, the most sort of uh, I don't know. I feel like the term base is kind of useless now, but he, he's really strong on this COVID stuff in a lot of ways. He came out from the very beginning and was very vocally. Uh, 
anti-mask, very telling people just go about your lives, uh, has called out openly the pharmaceutical companies, has not been pushing the vaccine, uh, like any, to any except the vaccine has been being pushed. It's through like other health agencies in Mexico uh, to the point like it seemed like the health agencies for a long time were saying one thing and then AMLO would come out and say like, no, everything's fine. Don't listen to them. So I'm just curious your thoughts having seen you know his entire progression maybe through through politics here. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm kind of a fan uh, uh, of AMLO. Like, it's hard not to be a little bit. I mean, he's, he's got balls. In many respects, he's got libertarian aspects. Um, I'm a conservative Christian, so my views on politics are related, you know, conservative, but I don't like the categories. I wouldn't classify myself as Republican. But if you look in Mexico, before AMLO, like Peña Nieto and Calderon and all of these right conservatives... I mean, they're basically like fascist. I mean, they're agents of the American empire. I interviewed Jefferson Morley, who I'm actually talking to on my TNT show this week because he's got a new book. But when I was working at the tech, he had declassified files. He wrote a book called Our Man in Mexico. And he declassified the, the documents that show that three Mexican presidents in the 50s and 60s were CIA agents. They actually had code names Li Tempo. It was uh, Diaz Ordaz, uh, I think Echeverria. I'm always forgetting the, the, the third name. Uh, and people say Carlos uh, Gortari, a president in the 90s who signed NAFTA, pr probably also likely. Literally CIA agents, Mexican presidents. And so, you know, Calderon, the previous president, when he graduates, where does he go? Or when he finishes his term in Mexico, where does he go to teach at, at Harvard? Sure. That tells you these are agents of the the empire, the military industrial complex, Wall Street, whatever you want to call it. And if they were in power uh, when COVID hit, they would have locked us down like crazy. Calderon and Peña Nieto. And if, if there were any of these right Mexican parties. So I, I will admit that as a conservative, like this is what would have happened. And I, I would in no way want that. And so we've got AMLO now who's, you know, left. And but you so you look at it from what he's actually doing in the issue perspective. I kind of forget the left and right. What is he actually doing? He's trying to defend the sovereignty of Mexico. So you've got these foreign companies trying to come in and, and make uh, force twist Mexico's arm to make GMOs legal so then they can take over all of the, 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 the you know, the corn and the farms and almost fighting that, you know, they made GMO corn uh, illegal. They're trying to come in and privatize CFE. CFA, the electricity, right? The, I pay five, we pay five bucks a month for electricity, which is fantastic. I love it. <laughs> and so, uh, they, they, you know, these guys want to come in and privatize it, sell it off, and then they will jack up the prices. We'll be paying a thousand, two thousand pesos a month for electricity. AMLO is defending that. Pemex, the oil, you know, they want they want us to destroy the Pemex and then bring in renewables that don't work. Um, AMLO is defending that. So you look at it like this, it's like, wow, he's actually. As you said, the COVID stuff, he tried to stave that off. And so in many respects, he's defending Mexican sovereignty, whether he's left or right or whatever, he's at least trying to do that. One recent criticism, though, he proposed, I've been talking about this for a long time, like a North American Union or Latin American Union based on the EU. So this is de facto globalism. So right there, it's like, whoa, dude, you know, chillax. And I, I did. I it's think hard I did to know what to believe sometimes with him. Yeah, and so this is kind of where you have to wonder. Like, I, I did the last interview, I believe, with the father of the North American Union, Dr. Robert Pastor, who worked at the CFR, who would visit 
the school where I used to work and promote North American Union. Uh, I interviewed him December 2013. He passed away from cancer January 2014. Uh, but anyways, AMLO is proposing an EU-style North American Union. So I think he is a globalist, but he's just kind of like a different type of globalist. Maybe he's a more humane glo globalist. Uh, you know, maybe he's he's got globalist ideas where he he still wants to help uh, the people as opposed to these other globalists who want to depopulate and, and and kill us. And so he's talked about world government. You know, there's a Twitter. You can go back to 2016 where he's hanging out with socialist Jeremy Corbyn and AMLO is literally talking about world government. In fact, recently at the UN, like a, a half a year ago, a year ago. So he's a globalist, but he's a different kind of, of globalist. And as you say, he's he's been doing some good things defending defending sovereignty here in Mexico. Yeah, maybe he's a, a globalist like your you know your goofy liberal friend might be, and and just still has the like starry eyed sort of ideas about what that could be if done by the right people, but also kind of understands the global politics a little bit and sees what's currently going on. That's about the best you could uh, kind of figure on the surface, I guess, with him. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Yeah, he's maybe he's like a well meaning globalist. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there probably is such a thing. I mean, I think most like most of the people that you know in regular life that you meet who's whose ideas might line up with a lot of what's going on. They're not, they're not the elites. Like they're not back there. They really don't. They probably do just mean, well, they've just been, you know, they've been victims of this, uh, the, you know, sort of manufactured consent and that sort of thing that we've seen over the years. Um, so speaking of, um, the global empire and such, this is pretty much what your, the, the foundation of your show was, was based on, uh, exposing and discussing more, uh, to the point that you mentioned, like you have been very banned. Uh, you can't even use PayPal now. So why don't we, delve into i mean since since we've already you know gonna get a strike for this one um <laughs> so why don't we just go all, all, all the way here because what do you think are some of the topics that you've covered you can use code or you can use not i don't really care uh whatever you feel um uh, that that you think would have caught the ire of these agencies to the point that they'd be going out to paypal potentially and telling them to turn off your personal accounts ah you mean what it is uh, that's uh that's really, you know, making them unhappy. You mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, what, what do you think would be catching the most ire of the empire? I guess that you just. Well, I mean, I think it had started again January, twenty twenty. I have the book here. Um, so in January of twenty twenty, um, I inter I was the first to interview Francis Boyle, uh, and he, his new book. Uh, he actually mentions geopolitics, but geopolitics uh, and empire, and he's got an entire transcript of the interview I did. Uh, with him, and he's the guy who wrote the Bioweapons Act uh, that was signed into law in 1989 by George Bush. And his theory was that, you know, uh, the cerveza sickness, as George Gantman calls it, um, that it, it was, it's, in, you know, a bioweapon. And, you know, that interview went viral, 300,000 views, and got taken off of YouTube. So that's the kind of stuff you can't talk, to, talk about. I interviewed Dr. Mark Circus. He lives down in Brazil. He's frequently on Lou Rockwell. His articles are featured. He's kind of like a Dr. Mercola. I really like Dr. Mark Circus. But um, so, so what happened was, I, you know, th that kind of stuff keeps anything to do with this uh, pandemic where you really kind of get deep, gets taken down. Just imagine air quotes every time we say pandemic and then you'll, you'll get the gist. Yeah. And, and so what happened was in 2020, I think it was 2020, no, 2021 um patreon so first it started with patreon they deplatformed me they said remove your interview with mark circus and robin monotti so i was i think one of the first at this time to interview robin monotti who's an italian director and uh, film producer 
he and he's based in England. Um, so I did an interview with him talking about this stuff as well. And it's interesting because he got banned from Twitter and then he got big on Telegram. He's got like a hundred thousand followers on Telegram. And he's the guy that Eric Clapton uh, found uh, to go down the rabbit hole. So Eric Clapton discovered Robin Monotti's stuff. And then you can find online where Eric Clapton and Robin Monotti did an interview uh, together. So uh, thanks to Robin, Eric Clapton kind of went down the rabbit hole. That's why Clapton is so uh, out there with the stuff now. Yeah. And so, so what had happened, Patreon said, delete these interviews from the entire internet, not just Patreon, from all of the internet. I'm like, are you crazy? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to censor myself. And I told them, delete my Patreon. Not even just from their platform, I mean, which would still be, be horrible, but not even just trying to say what they do on their platform. They wanted to take it from wherever else it may be. From Apple, from Spotify, from everywhere, from your website. I'm like, you guys are nuts. Wow. I'm, saying, I'm not doing that. And then they came back a second time saying, you know, we're giving you another chance. If, if you would just delete it, we'll give you your Patreon back. And I respond to the person. I'm like, am I talking to an AI bot like i'm not censoring myself my grandfather was a nazi prisoner you think i'm gonna put up with this uh garbage this tyranny do i have to delete my patreon i literally said that i'm like i'll delete it if you want or just you know delete me i don't care and like around that same time the associated press put out a hit piece on the COVID, on the COVID conspiracy super spreaders and they did a hit piece on francis boyle and they mentioned my podcast, which had kind of started it all. And we got to mention one of those for having Dell Bigtree on as well. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And it was written together with the Atlantic Council, NATO's think tank. I mean, this is like part of the military structure of the empire. And, and they're involved in the, all this information war and disinformation and censoring people. Uh, and so I think that's when, you know, that's around. So I got canned from Patreon uh, at that time. And then so the, the, the pandemic, the health stuff is really what gets you. They say you're going against CDC and the WHO. Uh, and then the other thing is the election. You can't question. I, I keep getting so many strikes and videos deleted with my guests, you know, Doug Casey, international man, right? Who's down in Uruguay. They, I did an inf- interview with him earlier this year. He questioned, you know, the thing. And he got Bob Moriarty of 321 Gold, who's pretty well known. He, Vietnam vet who flew 800 sorties. Talk about Patriot, right? He threw 800, flew 800 sorties in Vietnam. He even flew under the Eiffel Tower, one of the few people to do that. He, he gets taken down because he questioned, uh, you know, the 2020 thing. And so is this and pretty soon, I think climate will be next if you question the weather. I think I just saw like Paris or maybe it was somewhere in France or somewhere else in Europe. I think it was France, but they actually had a lockdown for heat. Climate hot out. This is the next thing. I mean, Mark Morano of Climate Depot, he's got a show on, on TNT every Saturday, and I just interviewed him on my show uh, the past week. Yeah, he's, people like him have been talking about this. Th- that, that's what the whole preparation was for, was for what's next is the climate lockdown. And in France, you can't hold an outdoor event because of the weather. So that's like, that's a climate lockdown. All right, gang. Well, speaking of lockdowns, You know something that was birthed during the original lockdowns? That was the podcast 
that I host, the other podcast I host that is not Lions of Liberty. It is the Second Print Comics Podcast with my friend Remzo Martinez. We are from different generations of comic book fans, me being in my, well, somewhere in my 40s, let's see, say, and then this kid is, I, th- I think he's still in his mid-20s. The kid never ages, but, uh, you know, we grew up at different times, both fans of comic books, and we decided to form this podcast during the pandemic, and it has been great therapy for us, great therapy for our audience to kind of get a break from the political talk and just sit back, look at some old comic stories and new comic book stories as we are now doing with our second show a week, our SPC Newsroom. So there's no better time to be hopping on board the Second Print Comics Podcast. If you need a break from the politics, just want to hear a couple guys chat about some fun stuff. Well, look no further than Second Print Comics on every podcatcher or secondprintcomics.com. How do you go about explaining these topics or discussing these topics to people that will dismiss any talk of even what's right in front of our face, what's written and spelled out and then completely out in the open with books and podcasts or whatever. Despite all of that, there are people that will dismiss a- any sort of, of the, the things that you're talking about as just the, here's the word conspiracy, put it, put it aside. So how do you deal with that aspect of things that if you seemingly talk about again, what they openly say they are doing, um, it, it just kind of gets dismissed. So do, do you, are you able, are you, if you found ways you're able to sort of break through and with people, or is it just more certain people are going to listen to this stuff and certain people are just, it's, it's too much for them to handle. Cause I think we've all maybe been in a point where we started learning more about this stuff, whether it was maybe the first video about nine 11 you watched or some Alex Jones documentary you watched at some point where you, you kind of feel there's some truth in it, but you also have this part of you that says, well, that's kind of science fiction. Maybe it's really not, maybe that's not really what's going on. And then, and then you kind of reach that point. <laughs> and I think for a lot of people, that point was the last two years where you realize, okay, yeah, maybe I should listen to what they're saying. So how do you go about sort of dealing with, I, I don't want to say normies, but I, I guess people that might agree with you politically or philosophically, but w- are still unwilling to take that step to say, yes, this is actually what's going on. I, I think it's important to choose your battles. Um, and I would say I've been talking about a lot about a lot of this stuff stuff for over a decade. And you know, when I started teaching here in Mexico, 2010, in my high school and university courses, I was talking about a, a coming world government, even using the terms global dystopia. And for me, like the last two years, is literally a global dystopia. I mean, I was living in Kazakhstan when this happened. And out there, they gave us a card. I should have kept it. I've got a photo of it in Cyrillic, you know, in Russian that said, you can only leave your apart- apartment every other day. So one day you absolutely cannot leave your, your home. There's police patrolling. And then the second day you can leave and only one person from the household with the card and you can go to a, only the pharmacy, to the bank uh, or to the supermarket. And, and when was this? 2020, like spring of 2020. Oh, okay. So I was out there in gotcha. Kazakhstan. I lived there gotcha. from 2017 to 2020. That's a freaking dystopia. And then here in Mexico, everything's like locked down, masks. You can't enter in anywhere without a mask. And the, for some places, did the vaccine. So this is like a global dystopia in all countries. So anyways, I was talking about all this stuff, economic collapse, global dystopia, like 2010. And as you said, people call you crazy. I had parents writing emails, letters to my higher ups at the school calling me anti-American conspiracy theorist because you know I was talking about how the U.S. finances uh, ISIS, Daesh. We've got that documented, you know, or how the American government killed Martin Luther King Jr. Got that documented um, and <clears throat> that kind of stuff. And uh, and people calling you crazy. I even got my courses taken away for a semester or two at the university here. 
Uh, and so what happened though during the pandemic is kind of what, what you were, were you teaching is what you're teaching history economics okay. international relations foreign policy so very related topics i, I yeah, would say. related topics <laughs> so i was this was my job man and you would have been the most fun like history teacher I, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> great reviews so what happened then during 2020-21 you know you're called crazy all this time for 10 years and i start getting messages when i'm out in kazakhstan on on whatsapp on facebook all of these old students, people who dismissed me, they want to talk to me like, dude, like your credibility automatically shot up. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So it's kind of like what, what, what you were talking about is if you're able, if you predict things, you talk about this stuff at the, at the when you talk about it, people think you're crazy. But then when that actually happens, that's when your credibility goes up because you predicted the future. I mean, then you have credibility because, I mean, you predicted the future. So in one sense, that's kind of what works uh, is when you talk in a cool way. You have to be always calm and diplomatic. I studied the Geneva School of Diplomacy, being diplomatic, collected. Which helps your credibility as well. If you're just ranting and raving and screaming about it, suddenly, no matter what truth there is behind or what whatever facts you might have, you're just not going to be seen as credible. Yeah, so so this is one tactic that works, predicting the future. And then the other is choosing your battles. Like some of these people, as you said, if they're on the extreme end of the blue matrix blue pill, uh, like I don't even bring up the topic. It's only if, if they bring it up, then I will contribute in a sensible way, you know, little, little pieces. Because if you try to do a huge dump, again, you're going to get that backlash. And so if I'm around these people who are very much in the system, I... Don't even bring it up unless they do. Uh, so I kind of like I, I've gotten to that where I don't want, I want to talk anymore with these people about these things unless they bring it up. And then what helps me is like my, my podcast and radio show. The fact that I can tell them, again, credibility is very important for these normies, right? Because they only believe the experts, the government right. experts, right. The, the, the mainstream media. You got to get yourself a lab coat. <laughs> then they'll, yeah. then they'll listen to you. Walk around with a lab coat. <laughs> They want, that's what they only listen to. So you have to have some kind of, you know, and so I, I can cite, you know, I studied in Geneva. I was, my professors were all these fancy people. I've shaken hands with Gorbachev. Like I'm not some crazy conspiracy theorist. And I worked at the top university and I've got this podcast where every week I'm talking to all of these experts, right? So it's like, I'm not so crazy if I'm every week I'm talking to, uh, you know, from all over the world, I, you know, uh, and so that's kind of try to use any credibility card uh, that you have with these people, because that's the only thing that they want is the experts, the government said the MSM, that's all that matters. So, well, well, you and I in this conversation so far have kind of referred to it or what's going on a, a number of times as if we're, I mean, I think you and I are pretty much on the same page. So, but for anybody listening who maybe hasn't really had this laid out to them, uh, plainly and clearly, which must mean they are a fairly new listener. Um, how would you explain, I guess, this, what, however you want to call this, what's been going on, whether it's it's how you view it through the, the most recent iteration, the Global Economic Forum, uh, through the 2020 thing, however we want to call it. Um, how, how do you how do you describe the complete picture of of what's been going on and who is behind it specifically? Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I've spoken to a lot of smart people, but probably people, a lot of people know, like Jay Dyer and and others, and you put together all these pieces. But my view from the beginning, I mean, you know, Spiros Skouras, no, he had a big channel. Um, he uh, he got deplatformed twice, but way back in March of 2020, he interviewed me, 
And back then, I said this was all about world government and technocracy, scientific dictatorship. And I actually used the term, which I found in one of the elite's own white papers. They call it algocracy. So they themselves are saying everything's falling apart. We need a global government that's a surveillance state. Literally, this is what they're saying. And algocracy, rule by algorithm. And so my view that and then you can look at the pandemic simulations like this is mind boggling. You've had, you know, from 2001 dark winter. But then in the last couple of years, you've had 2007, 17 spars, pandemic simulation, uh, crimson contagion, urban outbreak. Um, but in 2019, you had like two or three that specifically simulated the specific you know, health disease specifically. So how is it? A coincidence. They were planning for this. This was all planned in my mind because you had Event 201 in October of 2019, you know, World Economic Forum, Bill Gates, CDC, CIA was there. You know, Robert Kennedy Jr. talks about this. But people don't, this is lesser known that in September of 2019, the Chinese ran a simulation of CV sickness in Wuhan. Uh, and there's an official article in Chinese, you just Google Translate. Talking about this in the airport, they ran a simulation of an outbreak of this exact thing. So the Chinese simulated it, the American, the West, and then bam, it happens in 2020. And then the the monkey thing that's going on, you know, March of 2021, last year, the Nuclear Threat Initiative with the Bill Gates Foundation, Wellcome Trust, CIA, simulated the monkey thing breaking out in May of 2022, last month, and it actually happened. So. All of this is planned from long ago, in my view, and the goal is world government. You know, something I interviewed Francis Boyle recently about the book, and his summary was, look, in 20, 2001, right after 9-11, they did uh, bioterrorism, the anthrax thing, right? And he, he was the first to blow the whistle. He said, uh, they the government released anthrax, and he, he said, look, it's a false flag, the anthrax bioterror thing. And the goal was to ram through, to use that as a false flag, to ram through the Patriot Act, to make a domestic police state in America. And they're doing the same thing now on a global level. So they're doing this pandemic thing, the monkey thing, just like they did with the anthrax at the domestic level. This is a global level. It's a false flag to ram through. Everyone knows about the WHO pandemic treaty, which would give them, it'd be world government. Uh, so in May, there were these 12 or 13 amendments. Many countries pushed back. It didn't succeed. But again, that would have given this UN, World Health Organization, control over the nation states. So create a global police state. What Boyle says, you know, it's a global medical tyranny police state. They're coming back in August. So a couple months from now, they're going to vote again on a draft treaty that will give them the same global government powers. So from my view, it's a false flag operation for one world government and then they can just declare a pandemic and then shut down all the countries and inject force them force all countries to inject their citizens to, to create this surveillance apparatus you know with the digital passports and qr codes and all of this stuff and it's the social credit system this is the thing that really makes me angry that i've been freaking out about that they have in china where the digital passports you know um they you can't do anything without them and so you'll Lawrence Fox of the Reclaim Party. He's an actor in England. Yesterday, he just uh, tweeted that the bank closed down the account of the Reclaim of his political party. 
And this is the algorithm ghetto. Like me with PayPal, I mean, the political, his political party in England for doing nothing wrong, they just shut down their account. In Canada, the truckers' accounts frozen. In China last week, people had their bank accounts frozen uh, like two months ago. For The bank has a financial problem. They were going to go to the main branch and protest. The government saw, because of the safe surveillance state, what they were going to planning to do. And they have the green status, right, in your QR code, digital passport. They switched the green to the red status, which meant they could not travel on, on buses or, or, or planes or trains to go and protest. So this is that algorithm ghetto social credit system that they want to install in all nations. And that will be the control system for the world government. That's my crazy take on everything that's going on. What do you see as the motive for the people that are pushing this? Is it as simple as a desire for greater power and, uh, you know, greater wealth and accumulating that through this global governance system? Or, I mean, you mentioned Jay Dyer. I had him on talking. We talked about specifically this book called The Next Million Years that was written like 70 years ago. Uh, and it from from diving into like a lot of those older writings that <clears throat> kind of describe a lot of what we're seeing even now today, it almost seems like it's it's on a more medical physical level than for a lot of these people than even just something as as pedestrian as as money and power. So, what's your take on that? I don't think it's about money. I mean, come on, these people have as much money as you want. It can't. That doesn't explain this, as you say. Like wanting more money. That, that that's. I mean, look at Bill Gates. I mean, this guy's right. involved in the health stuff and the climate stuff. I'm like, he's got everything. He doesn't need more money. So what what's driving him? And part of it is like the ideology is the you you know the old British ideology of Malthusian eugenicist. They want to depopulate us. We know that. But even still, what's driving that? I default to, to my view, which is like the only thing, again, for me that makes sense is I'm a Christian and I believe in the Bible. And I believe in the existence of evil, like real evil, not like some vague notion. No, there's a real concrete evil force, Satan, you know, for the fallen angels and his minions. And they're the ones driving behind all of this because the bible says that he's the prince of the the power of the air and he's the one manipulating the nations because in book of revelation and book of daniel it talks about at some point in the end of history in the end of the world and end times he achieves a global government it says he will have control of all, over all nations and peoples and tribes and languages and, and and waters that implies a world government it will be a totalitarian world government under you know, the Satan's control, and he's going to want to force everyone to worship him. And that's why you have, it talks about you can't buy or sell unless you have the mark or you submit to this system. So then you think about the social credit system, where it's like, if you question anything now, health or climate or, or politics, you're, you're turned off. You can't buy or sell. So I feel like we're at the beginning of the, the, the construction of this thing that's talked about uh, in the Bible. That, that's the only way I can make sense is the way, why are they doing it? They have this esoteric, occult, satanic um, ideology that's that's anti-human, that's you know uh, eugenicist, Malthusian, and yeah, and the Bible talks about it. Satan hates hum humans. He wants to kill as many humans uh, or control uh, as as possible. And so, yeah, as as you said, the only for me answer is metaphysical, spiritual, because otherwise they've got all the money they want. Why you know? Why are they doing what they're doing? It's 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 sinister what they're doing to us. It's sinister. I think that that frame of it is is interesting because for a lot of people, and 
myself to some extent. Um, I mean, if you told, if you just said what you said to me for the last five minutes to me ten years ago, I would have written you off completely as some crazy lunatic, uh, you know, whatever. Um, he's, he's read the, he stays up reading the Bible all night and believes all these crazy stories and just dismisses you completely. And I think for myself included, for sure. And a lot of people though, I'm finding in this space in general, um, are finding quite literally finding religion through the last two years, because at some point there is no other explanation except pure evil. I mean, there, there's like you said, at some point, the, the money, the power the wealth that doesn't add up, that doesn't compute. So there has to be something else behind it. And once you get to, to that point, well, if, if there's something evil behind it, if you're going to accept that you're believing in evil in, in the very real sense and not in a sort of like, yes, we all have bad moments or whatever. We all have temptations, blah, blah, blah. If you truly believe in a force of evil, then you kind of have to believe in a force for good as well. So I, I've really found that a, a, a lot, a trend in a lot of people that I've been resonating with that are, are sort of, I guess, vibrating on the same frequency, recognizing this stuff are also trending in the direction of finding religion if they hadn't already, or kind of going in that, um, going more so in that direction or becoming more serious about it, I guess I could say. So have you, have you noticed that trend with any people in, in your circles as well? Oh, definitely. I mean, you can look at even people that are popular in the independent media, Naomi Wolf, right? I, I believe she's got a Jewish background, but you know, secular, feminist traditionally she's being so outspoken look at this stuff she's she's talking about god and the bible and evil i mean naomi wolf and people like this more and more people you know i've interviewed a couple times patrick wood the technocracy guy and you know he's a christian and he's telling me the same thing like at the end of the interview or sometimes after the interview he's like yeah i think we could be in the end times like you know we might stave it off like we did in the 1930s i i think we're going through a repeat of of 1930s in history over history satan has tried the same thing and for whatever reason god said it wasn't time and or we pushed back we staved off the end of the world and he keeps trying again at some point it will be the end of the world but um and so Patrick Wood has said the same thing. I interviewed the Canadian pastor, Arthur Pawlowski. He said the same thing. Uh, yesterday I interviewed uh, the other Canadian pastor, Henry Hildebrandt, uh, who's, who's been in the news. They tried to shut him down. Um, all these people are saying the same thing. Catherine Austin Fitz, uh, and as well, some who are not um, Christian, like Naomi Wolf and, and other people. Yeah, people who are not, who are not religious, secular, are talking about the Bible. And the little that they know about these prophecies like there's some mark of the beast you know there's some world government and now as you said even some of the christians i interviewed a guy chad davidson from good fight ministries which i'm a huge fan of uh, they talk about the occult in the music industry in the film industry they've done many amazing documentaries he even said that if you asked me before 2020 if i thought we'd be close to the end times he's like i didn't think so and he gives the story how during the pandemic he lives somewhere in california his kid, like seven-year-old, was playing outside, and a neighbor called the cops on him for his kid playing outside during the pandemic. And he's like, whoa, we've gotten to the point where people are now ready to accept, you know, this whatever mark of the beast. So even him, a Christian, was saying, like, I, like if you asked me before, I don't think we were close. And now it's like, whoa, look, look, what's, look what's going on. People, neighbors are ready to turn in their neighbors like for the kid playing outside, imagine what they, you know, they'll report you for anything now. So in some ways it sounds very dire, I guess when you, when you lay it out in, in end times terms, um, but you did also mention like maybe having staved it off a hundred years ago or so. So I, I'm, I'm kind of curious 
how how inevitable do you see the achievement of the world government or whatever it may be? Or is it something that can be fought in the sense of obviously you're fighting in your own way by, by talking about this and being so vocal um, about about these issues? Um, so do you see it as something where we could it could actually be staved off or, or enough people to become not just aware of it, but because it's uh, again, they, they openly talk about it, too. So it's a little more than awareness that I think we need. Um, but, you know, if you have enough people were motivated to actually turn it back, if it could actually be turned back. And, and if not, where do you find the hope? You know, is it do you find hope more in your, your personal salvation or or how you can construct your own life ar- around what's going to be? you know, coming up, coming in the, in the coming years. Yeah. I'm trying to figure that out as well with a number of guests. I have guests on that talk about energy and stuff and some have interesting ideas. Like I've interviewed Gail Tverberg and Steve St. Angelo and, you know, they're telling us about this metaverse and great reset and techno technocratic systems of control. But some of these people have interesting points to these energy experts that say that won't be viable. Like there won't be enough energy to create this metaverse system. So I'm like also wondering like if what the the Cobra Commander Klaus Schwab is selling us is even uh, possible. And that would then mean maybe the future would be more like Mad Max. No, maybe not exactly Mad Max, but we're thinking- <laughs> I don't know if that's, the, if that's what I'd call the hopeful, the hopeful like, mission. <laughs> like, yeah, no, but it would like kind of be like the, the system would fall apart and they wouldn't be able to exert this crazy control that they're projecting. Although Mad Max may be preferable to 1984 or whatever have you, or Brave New World. You're left to your own devices right. in, in, in local, local uh, communities. I do think at some point all of this is inevitable. Like it's foretold, it's going to happen at some point. Um, one positive, like if you read the Bible, it says it, it doesn't last for long. And again, it goes to what these experts are saying. You can't have this global government infrastructure, which requires so many things, energy and all of these different nations and peoples coming together. It's just not a natural mix. So when it does happen, it can't last for long. Um, I think it's going to happen when is anyone's guess i'm not like, i'm not like those people like you know it's, I, I don't like those people who 16 months <laughs> well yeah or you know give years or stuff i'm like who, who knows but you can read the signs that we are going into this attempt uh, again and these globalists are obsessed with 2030 they talk about even way before the pandemic they're obsessed with 2030 um to achieve their world government agenda 2030 so i think it's in, uh, inevitable <clears throat> But we have to fight it either way. Like, you know, you have to resist evil, you know, whether you're Christian or not. I think it's an agreeable thing. You know, I think the Bible implies always fighting for peace and truth and justice and fighting against evil and corruption and injustice. So that's the default. Um, and yeah, I guess my, my hope is spiritual, metaphysical in Jesus. You know, I don't, it doesn't matter if I die because I will be with Jesus in, in heaven. So that's my hope. Materially, in the material plane, in the physical sense, I'm pessimistic in that sense that we are going towards this tyranny. Uh, but I guess in the in the material sense, the hope might be it, it hopefully wouldn't last long. It may not be as 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 they're projecting to us like this. Like I said, you know, maybe the, the metaverse and all, the, all these things will take longer to complete, or they they won't work as they tell us. I guess that's what I always kind of go back and forth on. It's it's what I wonder is how much of this is actually 
just science fiction in their own heads. Like how much of it is actually unachievable uh, just in terms of like the, the science end of it. You know, we've seen this vision portrayed in science fiction uh, through a lot of these writers that are very connected to the elites for ever, you know, since HG Wells uh, or some, all the Wells, I guess. Um, but, you know, but then we, it always seems like, oh, wasn't this 2020? Wasn't this supposed to be a dystopian future by now? So it always seems like these ideas are put out there. But when the future comes, we look around and, and yes, the world is very different. But it's not the technocratic slave world that has been sold to us for 100 years in science fiction. So that that's what I always kind of, you know, bounce around in my own head. How much of this, I think the intention is there, but how much of this is just their own psychotic fantasies? Yeah, I, uh, I would agree. I, I kind of came to the conclusion that I'm a big fan of Half-Life, the video game, you know, from Steam, Half-Life 2, and they paint like a dystopian future, City 17, or you, maybe if you can, you can reference Blade Runner or other films, and you just look at those dystopian futures where everything is dilapidated and the, the urban areas are crummy and everything. So you've got like the, like the world as we know it now with an o- overlaid over it is this technocratic digital system but it, it kind of seems like that system is not functioning as as how they would have imagined. Like they they sell to us like these high tech controlled dystopias. It's like a a poorly it's like a poor attempt at dystopia. It's like the high school play version of it. <laughs> yeah, and, and it is there. Like, look, they've tried. You know, in Mexico City in 2020, they tried to force everyone to do the QR codes to enter pharmacies and anywhere shops. And after a week of people not complying, the government's like, ah, oh, you know what? Never mind. You don't need. I, I mean, I went during the pandemic. I was in Mexico City uh, with a friend to go have lunch at some place. And they were asking us to sign our names. Yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, there was there was like a year where you had to always write your name down. So I guess for contact tracing in theory or something like that. Yeah, contact tracing. I told them, I'm like, are you crazy? I'm not giving my name. You're nuts. Yeah. To the, to I the mean, you can just make up a name too because they don't check. They don't exactly. Yeah, but I'm just kind of a guy like I just openly right. hate tyranny and fight it and right. I'm going to make a show and I, I'm not doing that. And the guy relented. He's like, okay, you don't have to. So I, just, I, I was like a lion. I just barked. I'm like, you're nuts. This is the contact <laughs> tracing system. You're controlling us, social credit. And the guy just staring at me and I'm like, uh, he just let me go. So. <laughs> He's like, sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> You're taking your steak too seriously. <laughs> uh, and then I'm curious too, like, yeah, so maybe there's not much hope that it can be completely, you know, curtailed altogether. But I, there does seem like there to be hope in the sense that they don't, they don't have as much tight a control as they might desire or as they might want to portray they will one day have in uh, in all the, the fiction works that are, have been fed to us. And I, and I grew up such a fan of science fiction, and I think one one problem with the last like four or five years of me getting a little more into, not into like I like it, but understanding this stuff more is that it's really sullied my view of science fiction because now it's, it's hard not to view a lot of it as... Oh, they're just trying to sell. They're trying to pre-program me here of this dystopian future. Um, I, but I, are you were you a fan of like science fiction and that sort of thing? Oh, huge the the books and the films. Like uh, I loved Amazon's Man uh, in the High Castle. You know uh, Philip K. Dick, who wrote Blade Runner, that's based on his book, where uh, the West loses World War II and the Nazis and Japanese take over North America like a huge nightmare, and so. Yeah, I've I've grown up cutting my teeth and all of that stuff. You know, people talk about Orwell and Aldo Huxley. I mean, I've, I've got the book behind me. I I like to go to the original. You know, you had Eugene Zamyatin, Yevgeny Zamyatin, the Russian writer who wrote in 1923, 1920s, the book called We. 
and that's like 1984. So he like he did like the first 1984 called We in the 1920s, and then you had Aldo Huxley in the 1930s, right? Kind of riff off of that, and then in the 1940s, Orwell did 1948, and so on. And so, yeah, I think it's predictive programming. Now, another thing that gives me hope is so many people have been talking about parallel structures, right? Uh, you know, um, so kind of building, exiting the system, building parallel structure, decentralized structures. You got many people talking about this. Derek Bros, John Bush, the pastor I talked to yesterday, Henry Hildebrandt in, in Canada. He's talking about it. Um, you know, uh, Matt Smith, who works with Doug Casey down in Uruguay. Um, building outside of this system of control that they want to put us in. I, I think there's also hope in local uh, communities. I, I visited a, a community here not far from me uh, in Mexico. They're super Catholics. Marianists like Maria, uh, and there's like dozens of them in a loose community, and they're professionals, smart Mexicans from all over Mexico, and they came to this community, they built homes, and they're preparing for the end of the world. It's fascinating. I mean, and they're smart people, and it's not like they're worrying. They're just like preparing for bad things that could come, and you know, they have their own water and, and food sources, and um, they're even preparing places. They're expecting like Christian refugees, like to be able to help people when the economy collapses and and things like that. And so I think there's hope in local community and building, being with like-minded people and building parallel structures. So if you can't go to the supermarket, they shut off your account. You've got your own. I've got friends here that they've they've got a plots of land with chickens and avocado trees and mangoes and blackberries and corn and it's like they have so much they can't even uh, that it, it rots you know and so it's like well i don't care i got my own eggs and meat and chicken and and, and avocados so whatever <laughs> that's an advantage of a place like mexico where you can still find places to get some just land pretty darn cheap yeah yeah in these years to come do you obviously you've chosen to to remain in in mexico and so do you see are you there more just because you've you've grew to like the country and this is just where you want to live or do you actually also see it in, in a geopolitical way as well do you think that you know even if amlo is a little globalist he's kind of at least someone who for now who's pushing back do you see it as actually a place that can be more of a haven because there have been a lot of uh i mean i know a lot i i meet every day i meet more canadians mostly canadians like an insane number of canadians that have been moving down here a uh, number of americans australians you know not not coincidentally some of the places that faced uh, a lot of this tyranny the worst. So, do you th think that, uh, especially with the move of a lot of foreigners to Mexico, that 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 at least in pockets, that can become I don't know if I want to say an area of resistance, but at least an area where you can fr find more like-minded people to sort of build your own communities with? Yeah, totally. As you said, I mean, it's for both reasons. I came here twelve years ago, so people who are saying, "Oh, you ran away," it's like, no, I came here twelve years ago, uh, and I grew to like the place. And, I, and I'm a Mexican citizen. There's people that cr criticize me. Oh, you ran away from America. You should go back to America and fight the good fight. I'm like, well, guess what? I'm Mexican. So according to your logic, I'm a Mexican citizen. So I, so I, should, I should stay in Mexico and fight the good fight. Right. Mexico, <laughs> yeah. right? So you got nothing against me. And, and so anyways, um, and I would agree with this, your second point. Uh, again, I, I've opened up uh, on my website uh, a consultation option, like uh, when I remade the website in January. So I've had some people... Uh, call me from Canada, US. I've met some of my listeners from Canada who've come down and purchased property here. Uh, even even people who were normally like left progressive uh, have told me like they're leaving California. It's so, gone so extreme 
and these are progressive Democrats that for them, it's gone so far that even they are like, I'm fleeing to uh, Mexico. And um, yeah, I would say Mexico will buy time at the very least. And as you said, geopolitically, we've got this climate change agenda where they want to just deindustrialize, shut down everything and bring us back to a neo-techno feudalism, you know, where no one can have cars and stuff, but Mexico's got resources. So I think this will get us longer. We've got oil, number one or two producer in silver, big agricultural production. And so there's a lot of that stuff. We talked about earlier, there's more freedom in, in one sense in Mexico, resources, um, and AMLO kicking against the pricks. Uh, and so, yeah, and you said so many people are flooding down into Mexico. So it is sort of like a safe haven. So it's definitely buying you time. I, I still feel that we saw the globalists are attempting to bring in the Great Reset into Mexico. You know, they had the vaccine certificates here in some states for some time. So it's like, it's not like they're, you're going to be safe in, in Mexico completely. I think with technology, they can do it very quickly. You know, the governors can just snap their fingers and say, all businesses need to require digital passports for customers. And overnight, you can you can have that as well in, in Mexico. And there is a digital peso coming, I believe, as well. Is, is that yeah, all countries are going to have CBDCs. The digital peso is slated for, what, 2025? 20, I, uh, I forget the year. So yeah, we're all going to the digital cashless society. I guess one plus, as you said, in Mexico is you can go to more rural areas. I always joke I'm going to escape to the jungles of Chiapas down down south, and so I'll be free in in the jungle in Chiapas. Yeah, it's hard to picture. Like, I, I mean, I, I spent a few months in a in a very small town called uh, Zochitepec in 2020 uh, outside outside of Cuernavaca, and I, I like I cannot imagine a digital passport ever. Where I mean, it's just a series of old ladies and small shacks, and it's like I. But you know, they will certainly try. I have no doubt about that. Yeah, that, that I, that's one plus where I think you could kind of. And you, you, as you mentioned, you know, Brave New World, I think it was, they talk about those, those people who are living outside of the smart city technocracies, like the, 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 the wild people who live, you know, in the wild and they're painted as bad and evil to the people living in the urban areas. Uh, and so, yeah, you'd, you would kind of be like that. I always think of Blade Runner, uh, the sequel, where he takes a trip out to find, uh, I don't know, it was his dad or what, Harrison Ford yeah, who's yeah. living like, in, I don't know if it was like Las Vegas, but... It's like the zone that's outside of the dystopian city center. And it's kind of like there's no rules there. It's just kind of wild. And, you know, um, that's kind of how, how I view uh, Mexico. So but, but you want to get out of the urban areas. I actually need to get out of Guadalajara. I'm here in Guadalajara and I I'm trying to plan my escape. But going back to what you said earlier, before I was in Kazakhstan, I was planning to go live in Croatia. I've got a home in Croatia on the on the sea. And I was like, it was my dream. I was going to go back on the Adriatic that was my plan. And then this thing comes along. And as I told you, like, this, this was my analysis of what this thing is. And I'm like, I got to give up my dream. We're going back to Mexico because the technocracy will come first to Europe sure. and US and the five eyes countries, New Zealand, Australia, and it'll take longer to come to Mexico. So I, and I feel like, and even some of my guests have confirmed this analysis, even some of my guests after my interview, some of some of the people on the geopolitics and empire have like asked me about moving to Mexico. So even some of these very smart people yeah. are like, "Hey, I've had people reaching out to me too that people you might not expect just just kind of you know dropping the feelers, inquiring, 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or Havoya, I really appreciate you uh, coming on. Um, I I know you're a busy man. You got multiple shows, and you're doing um the Hervoye Morik show. Uh, was it five days a week? So I mean, you're just doing uh epic epic amounts of work out there. So let everyone know how they can find everything you got going on, and how they can support you without 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 PayPal. More importantly, yeah, ge- geopoliticsandempire.com. Uh, I still have Stripe, so um, you can become a member. I, I offer extra content. Like I do once a month Zoom call with members just shooting the breeze. And I've been behind on producing extra content, but hopefully get back to that. Um, and you know, just subscribe to my free email list and uh, the Telegram and, and, and Twitter. Those are the things where I spend most time. And yeah, my show, uh, TNTradio.live um, is the show. The show is there. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, it. Yeah, and it's it's tough. I'm a skeleton crew. I do all of this by myself. Yeah. It's not the podcast, the show, and I got like family and kids, and it's just nuts. But somehow I I get through it. <laughs> oh, I know all about it. Trying to get things done at home, and then there's like seven crises to deal with. Like, do you realize I'm in the okay? Whatever. Um, Arroyo, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Be sure to check out Geopolitics and Empire as well as the Arroyo Morris Show. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. You too. All right. Thank you. All right, kitty cats. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Hervoye. Yes, I can say it right now, of course. Hervoye Maurice. Uh, check him out five days a week. That's right. Five days a week on his show, the Hervoye Maurice show on TNT radio. I was a guest on that show recently. I'm actually going to share that interview in this podcast feed. Well, in, in the Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire podcast feed. Anyway, if you're listening on, on the Lions of Liberty Network feed, you'll be able to find my interview on the Hervoye Morich show in the Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire feed. So make sure to go hit the subscribe button on that particular feed. Hey, while you're there, how about a five-star rating and a great review? That would help me out a ton. It would also help me out a ton if you subscribe to my Substack, markclaire.substack.com. That is where the watcher speaks. He hasn't spoken lately, but he shall. So please give me a follow over there so you get those updates when I do get back to the old writing and I think that's really all I've got to say, my friend. So that means I have only one more request, and you know what that is. That is, of course, to live long and live free and live free and live free and live free. And live free.